0: Heard about this guy that was walking down the beach, and he ran across a bottle, and inside of that bottle, a genie appeared. Genie had asked the guy, "Hey, thanks for letting me out, but you know, what's one thing I can do for you? Thanks for giving me the freedom." The guy thought about it for a second. He said, "You know, I don't like to fly. I hate flying. I don't like to be on boats. I hate the hate the water." So maybe from the mainland, you can, you can build a highway all the way to Hawaii because I've always wanted to go there. Well, the genie quickly just said, you know what, that's going to be impossible. I mean, just think about all the concrete that's going to be needed, how far the pylons from the, the peering need to go all the way down to the bottom of the ocean. There's got to be rest stops and gas stations and hotels. Can you think of something else? The guy thought about it a little bit, he said, you know, I'd love to... I'd love to know what my wife is thinking half the time, and I'd love to know what makes her tick. I'd love to know the ups and downs of her emotions and how to best help her out with those things. And the genie said, you want that highway two or four lanes? (laughs) I think that jokes like that, you know, kind of emphasize this mistruth that we have about one gender or the other, and that is women are very complex and men are simpletons. Maybe you've seen a picture like this that helps to reinforce that idea, that there's just a few switches for guys, but I mean, there is a complication to women. But may I, may I tell you the truth about men and women? May I tell you the truth about us? We are complex people, It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. We are very complex people, which would make sense because we have been designed by a very complex God, and we are very intricate, and God has made you in an intricate fashion. You know, the Bible tells us that we're complex. We are so complex, we don't even know ourselves completely. It tells us that we're intricately made. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. When's the last time you thank God for that? Thanks for the complexity, God. Thanks for the ADHD, God. Thanks for that. I appreciate that. When's the last time you've thanked God for that in your spouse? Thanks that my spouse is so complex. I can't remember the last time my wife prayed that prayer audibly in front of me. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I, how well I know it. So this psalmist has actually looked into his own life and he said, man, I, I'm a pretty complex guy. And God is the only one that could have wired me this way. And I don't even know how complex I am, but I just know that, uh, that I've been uniquely made. You know, it would make sense that there would be complexity in us. I mean, God is a very complex God. And He formed us in His image. Take a, just, just grab this for a moment. God's image, we've been formed in, in His likeness, the Scripture says. You know, animals can't say that about themselves. Nature can't say that. An insect can't say that. But humans can say that we've been formed in God's likeness. That's the difference between us and the rest of creation. God's likeness is that he is three in one. We call that the Trinity. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. That there's three in one, yet one God. Man is similar there are three parts to us. didn't know if you're aware of this, but we are really complex. We are body, which you know the exterior of that thing. You know, you know the complexities at least somewhat of the body, even though medicine would tell us they only know about 3% of who we are physically. We are soul, which that's our psyche. That's your personality. Your personality is on display all the time, but you know what? Your, your personality, I mean, your psyche, you could have a, a, a team of psychologists try to figure you out, and you never get figured out. And then you have spirit, and that spirit is something that God has put in within you, and that spirit can be renewed, can be changed, can be put to death, and a new spirit come in. You see, our soul needs to be saved. Our personality, what makes us us, needs to be saved, because that's our behavior, that's our actions, that's our attitude. But our soul is something that lasts for all of eternity, and the body is just a container, For that soul and that spirit. Don't get used to the body. Don't get too focused on the self image of the body because it's not going to be with you one day. It's going to be gone. The Bible describes our identity like this it says that God has identified us by placing, identified us as His own by placing His Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything He has promised us. So, what's the identifier in our life? What's the thing that should truly identify us? Should it be our body? No. Should it be our soul, our personality? No. What identifies us according to God? It is the spirit. It's the thing that is eternal. And God says you can have a a new identity, you can be redefined in life. And that happens when we come to Jesus and we give up our old spirit and we take on the spirit of God, his Holy Spirit, and say, God, not my spirit anymore. That spirit's dead. I left that in the baptistry. God, I want your Holy Spirit to now live in me. You're saying, well, what about the psyche? Is that saved? You better believe the soul's saved. That's what needs to be saved the most. And it's saved by God's Holy Spirit working in your life. And hopefully your, your, your soul, your attitude, your personality is changing because of that spirit in your life. Now your body, your body, unfortunately, this is as good as we're going to get. I think tomorrow may not be as good for my body as it was three years ago. And I think three years from now, it's not going to be as good as it was today. And there's so much dimension to our life, so much complexity some might say, by looking at our life, that we've all, been, we've all been dealt a different hand. We've all been dealt something different to play with. And Well, some of you have looked at the hand that you've been dealt with, and you've just said, this is a losing hand. I can't do anything with what God has dealt to me. You look at your talents and your abilities, and you wish you had more. You know, I wish I could play the guitar like Eric Clapton, but I can't. I have to play with the hand that's been dealt to me. I wish I could lead an organization like Warren Buffett, but I can't. I have to manage with the hand that's been dealt to me. I wish I could be as creative as Bob Ross. Or I wish I could preach like Chuck Swindoll. And I think some of you wish the same. Unfortunately, I can't. I have to preach with the hand that I've been dealt with. And at one time, I was pretty discouraged by that. I was discouraged that I didn't have greater ability. Discouraged that I wasn't more athletic. Discouraged that I didn't have more creativity. Discouraged that I wasn't more intelligent. Then I found out that in my weakness, when I hand that over to God, maybe my losing hand, God is the wild card. And he can turn it into a winning hand. You know, the Apostle Paul was frustrated with his life. He looked at God and he said, can you change some things about me? I've got this thorn in my flesh and I'm tired of it. And God looked at him and said, you know what, you do have a flaw in your life, but here's how you need to look at it. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And Paul moved from that moment And he recognized that maybe the weakness in my life, the things that I see as flaws that I've been born with and had no control over, just might be there so that God could do something absolutely miraculous through those weaknesses and present a strength through them. You know, some people, though, they like just to wallow in their weakness. They like to groan and bellyache. About their weak, Things they had no control over. I was introduced to a term recently, it was called professional victim. It's just those people that are constantly feeling they're victimized for every wrong thing that happens in their life. It, it, it's typically someone that just doesn't want to own up for their actions. These people are people that create their own storms and then they get upset because it rains in their life. You know, professional victims, these are the ones that always have an excuse as to why they can't get ahead in life. God dealt me a bad hand. And they, their favorite word is can't. You know, they say things like, uh, I can't have healthy relationships because of my past. I can't hold a job because I'm not smart enough. I can't, I can't get a job because who would hire me? I can't tolerate authority. I've had a bad past experience. I can't get a good deal. No one ever has favor for me. Professional victims. Some of us in this room, we may not be professional victims, but we're amateur victims. For some of you in this room, your favorite word is can't. I can't do this. I can't get this done. I can't get this accomplished. I've been dealt a bad hand. It just can't can't happen. And can't has defined your life. You know what happens when God enters your life? Can't is no longer a word in your vocabulary. It's no longer a definition of your identity. The word can is When Christ enters your life and you give up your spirit for his spirit, things change to can, like I can manage my money wisely. I can honor authority even though I've been burnt in the past. I can have healthy and meaningful relationships even though I've never had them before. I can look forward to a more prosperous future because God is the God of can. Friends, here's the good news. You might be an amateur Victim or a professional victim. But the good news is Jesus can transform what you think is a losing hand into a winning hand. But you have to give up your spirit and let him redefine your life. You know what happens when you do that, though? The scriptures tell it to us like this in Romans 8. You are more than a conqueror when that happens. You can become more than a conqueror through him who loves us. That word conqueror is the word victor. You can become victorious in Jesus Christ. You don't have to play the victim any longer. God never wanted that to be your identity. God wanted your identity to be one filled with victory, overcoming, able to climb the obstacles that you see in front of you. But I think too many of you have been defined by can't. When as believers, we can. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Amen. Let's look at some things that define us that have defined us, that we had no control over. Like Here's the first one. we got to understand this, that we're complex people, and we didn't have control over some things. I'm created by God. That's one definition. That's a definition that you need to accept. You've been created by God. Some of us in this room have been created differently. We're, we're, just, we're just different people, and we stand out amongst the crowd. Others, we just kind of fit in, but within every single one of us, there is something that is different about us. Just as no snowflake is the same, Nor is there the same kind of human. You have a different personality, a different psyche, physically, mentally. You're different. Some of you were born with allergies. Some of you aren't allergic to anything. Some of you were born with extra chromosomes, high energy, low energy, weak eyes, strong back, weak back, sloping shoulders, one foot larger than the other, high capacity of learning, ADHD. I don't know what you got, but you've got it, you know? And if we're serious about ourselves, we know that we all have some kind of flaw in our life. Let's not look at the flaw as a sin because God never looked at the thing you were born with that you consider a flaw as sinful. Can I say it again? The thing that you see as a flaw in your life that you've been born with, God never saw that as something sinful in your life. He sees it as a weakness that he is hoping that one day you'll turn over to him so that he might do something strong in your weakness. Even though you're weak, may God be strong through you. And you can groan and groan and groan about the card that you've been dealt in life, about maybe the physical flaws, the mental flaws, the chemical makeup flaws that you have in your life. You can either say, God, why me? Or you can say, God, what are you going to do through me? I'm going to hand this over to you. And I'm expecting big things to play out because in my weakness, I'm allowing you to be strong. You didn't have decision over how you'd be born and what you'd look like and the goods and the bads that you'd be given in your life. But what are you going to do with those things? Are you going to let the bad weaknesses, the flaws that you have in your life become the thing that identify you the most? Or are you going to be held back by the word can't? Or are you going to come to Christ and accept his spirit and say, I can, through Jesus Christ, do all things? I want to introduce you to a guy uh, who's been refined by God. And then I want to talk more about his story after you watch this video.
1: Hi, my name is Nick Voichich. And when I was born without arms and legs, my parents had no idea that their limbless boy would turn into the hands and feet of the love of Jesus Christ spread all around the world. As a child, I was bullied, and I went to Sunday school and learned that Jesus loved me, that he had a hope planned the future for me as well. Well, I'm like, what kind of plan is this? Can I suggest a plan B? So I prayed for arms and legs, and they did not come. And when I didn't hear anything from heaven, I started doubting that he indeed had a plan for me. So I prayed for arms and legs, but what I realized what I needed more was heaven, peace, purpose, and forgiveness of my sin. At age 10, I tried to commit suicide because of the bullying, predominantly at school. I didn't feel like I'd ever be independent and only a burden to my parents. I'd always be alone and never get married and never have a family and never find a purpose worth living for. Hence, a value worthy. So I tried to commit suicide at age 10 with six inches of bath water. I was stopped by one thought. And the thought was seeing my mom and my dad crying at my grave, wishing they could have done something more. At age 15, I gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ because I realized more than arms and legs, I wanted purpose and salvation and healing, forgiveness of my sins. I wanted Jesus. But I still didn't know why I was born this way. Well, in John chapter 9, everyone asked Jesus why was that blind man born that way. Jesus said it was done so that the works of God would be revealed through him. What I realized, I was actually as blind as the blind man. We had no idea what God had in store. And just because you don't see what God has in store doesn't mean his store is empty. Kids come up and say, What happened? And I say, Cigarettes. <laughs> Definitely as a child and a teenager, I'd never thought I'd be a speaker that would travel around the world and meet presidents and speak at congresses and be in stadiums as large as 110,000. I had no idea. And I I'd just give God all the glory and all the praise for the people who pray for us, the people who support us, and made this possible to travel around and preach the gospel to millions of souls. God loves me not because of what I can do or what I will do for the kingdom of God. He just loves me for me. When I put my little foot on my wife's womb as she was pregnant with our first son, uh, I felt him kick and I looked at my wife in her eyes and I said, Babe, I love him. I never touched him, saw him, heard him laugh, see him smile. He never earned my love. That love was always there from the beginning, before he was even born. So be challenged today. To know that God is not done with you yet. He wants to stretch you a little bit. And I dare you to believe in the greatness of our God. Because he has no limit.
0: A guy like Nick could have easily wallowed in his weakness. He could have easily have uh, allowed his flaw to lose faith in God. But you know what his motto is? His motto is no arms, no legs, no worries. And his... His ministry is titled, Life Without Limbs, God Without Limits. Isn't that a great way to look at life? I mean, if there's anybody that says, God dealt me a bad hand, it's a guy like Nick. And he stopped asking, why? And he said, God, what? What are you going to do through this weakness? And as soon as he gave his weakness over to God and let God's spirit become his identifier, he recognized that the body is temporary, but the soul is eternal. And God did some amazing things and is doing some amazing things through Nick. Imagine what he would do through you when you hand over your weaknesses to him. Let's further understand ourselves in that while we're created by God, God's also placed us into relationships. And some of these relationships, you didn't choose for yourself. You didn't choose your family. You didn't choose your mom and dad. You didn't choose whom you were gonna be born into, the lineage, the bloodline that you have, or whom adopted you from an early age. And maybe those people obeyed God and they lived up to the challenge that God had placed on fathers and mothers to, to love their children, to sacrifice for their kids, to raise them up in a way that God would raise up his own son and introduce them to Jesus. Maybe, you came, maybe you've come from a household that you praise God for, but maybe you don't. And let me speak to you today. If you did not, if you come from a household where, where your mom and dad dropped the ball, they didn't live up to the challenge that God placed in their life. They disobeyed what God had intended the way you should have been raised. You didn't experience love. You didn't experience encouragement. You didn't experience a loving touch. Let me speak to you today. God did not place you in that house so you would be hurt. He placed you in that household because there were some traits within that household that could only make you you. And God placed you in that household with the hopes that your mom and dad would be obedient to him and to his word and love you and care for you and be sacrificial to you. And maybe they weren't. But let me tell you what the scriptures say to all dads and to all mothers. It says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. That word exasperate, you know what that means? It means don't make your kids angry on purpose. Don't do anything that tries to invoke the anger of your children, but bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Every father, every mother is called to do that. Some of you are wonderful fathers in here, but you haven't had a wonderful father before. Maybe you learned what not to do by looking at your dad. Maybe you learned what not to do by just thinking, what would my mom do? Well, I'll just do the opposite of that. God has placed you in a home Not that you'd be hurt, but that you'd be loved. And if you've been hurt, or you've come from a broken home, somebody in that family has dropped the ball from the way in which God had intended you to be raised. But don't let that stop you. Don't let your family be the identifying mark of your life. Let Christ identify your life and mark you. And may He become your ID. You see, the Bible is filled with dysfunctional people who've come from dysfunctional families. God seems to use the most messed up people to do the greatest works. I think about a guy named Joseph who came from a disastrous family. His own brothers hated him, sold him into slavery, and yet God used Joseph's unwelcomed life. He would have never planned that for himself to save a generation of people. I think about Abraham. Abraham had a divided family, a dysfunctional family, and he caused a lot of the messes for himself, but yet God said, "I'm still going to use you even though your family's dysfunctional." Or how about David? David, while was a righteous man, he committed some disastrous sins, and his children didn't follow after his righteousness. His children followed down the pathway of sin. But that didn't stop God from saying, I'm going to use the lineage of David to save and to rescue and to lead God's people. How about Jesus' own earthly parents, Mary and Joseph? Twelve years of age, Jesus is left back in Jerusalem. And it's a day later that his mom and dad say, Oh no, we forgot the Son of God. And they left them behind. There are no perfect parents. Just as there are no perfect children. There is no family that is fine. No persons without problems. Someone had said, every home is broken the day it begins. Because of sin. Friends, you're never going to find the perfect relationship. The only relationship that we can be assured of that will ever be perfect is a relationship that you can have with God through Jesus Christ. And it's God that you'll find. That He will not drop the ball. He will love you just as you've been intended to be loved. You have been sacrificed for like you've always been intended to be sacrificed for. Your needs will be met like they've always been intended to be met. Your, light, your, your soul will be secure in a God that loves you if you come to that Father and recognize that you're a part of His family and find your ID in Him rather than anywhere else. Here's a third place we find our identity, and that's we find it in the circumstances around us. They have affected our life. I mean, there are all kinds of things that have happened around us that we had no control over. We just couldn't do anything about it, but yet they've influenced us. I remember my dad was laid off after spending about two decades plus at a company. That company defined his life, but after he was laid off and had no control over that layoff, he felt like a failure. He felt like he was letting his family down, and that layoff had affected his identity as a man. It affected his identity as a father, and maybe that's where you're at. You've had something happen that you had no control over and it's affected your identity. You've been fired, you've been rejected, you've been abused, you've experienced failure or letdown or you've been dumped by someone who you loved and it's affected who you are. Remember, problems shape our life. Pressure molds our life. Pain sharpens our life. And I can allow myself to be the victim of those things that I had no control of. Or I can hand those things over to God and say, God, give me the right reaction to these things because of your spirit in my life. Someone had said something very powerful about the circumstances and problems that happen in our world that we have no control over. And they said, don't tell God you have a big problem. Tell your problem you have a big God. And I think when we start getting into that mindset and that attitude that God has overcome this world and we too are overcomers because we are in God, we will start to see that there is no circumstance that surrounds our life that can identify us and mark us the wrong way we can react properly with God in our life. The scriptures say it like this in 1 John, it says, "...for everyone born of God overcomes the world." This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? This is a good question. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the ones who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We call those Christians, we call those followers of Christ. If you're a believer who is in this room, you've given your life over to Christ, guess what? You've overcome the world because Christ has overcome the world and he who is in you is greater than he who is in this world. You are an overcomer. But friends, outside of Christ, you're still trying to climb the hill. You're still trying to overcome. You're still trying to find victory. And it's no wonder why so many claim to be the victim. Because they have yet to experience victory with Christ in them. You don't have to let your circumstances define who you are. You need to let Christ Jesus be your definition. Be the overcomer. Here's another thing you need to realize about your identity. And that... You are not just created by God, but your self-image has shaped you. It's defined you. Think about all the times you talk to yourself. You might say, I never talk to myself. You talk to yourself all the time. All the time. I find myself talking to me when I'm running and exercising. And I'm running down the sidewalk and I'm telling myself, you better get it in gear. You better, you better, better put all your energy out here on the sidewalk because you, you, you'll go back home and you'll regret not giving your all, and I'm sure there's people that I pass by and I'm muttering to myself, they're thinking, that guy is crazy. I have no idea what he's saying. Stay away from that guy. But we're always talking to ourselves. And some of you talk to yourselves in such a negative way. I mean, you don't you have said anything positive to yourself in decades. And if you talk to your friends the way that you talk to yourself, you wouldn't have any friends. Think about the ways you beat yourself up. I'm worthless. I'm uneducated. I'm uncoordinated. I'm unattractive. I'm a screw-up. You know, most of that junk where that started at probably came from somebody else that said that to us. Someone probably spoke that to us. We took it in our head, and we thought we put it in the trash. We thought we, we threw it away, and we forgot about it. But it seems like when life gets dark, when life gets depressing, it seems like we didn't put it in the trash, we put it in the file cabinet and it comes back out and Satan starts to toy with us and gets it in our mind. And we start to concentrate on those things and those thoughts, even though they're fake, become believable to us. You know something can be fake and still believed is truth, right? And that's what we've done a lot of times with these thoughts. We've internalized them, we've thought through them. That's why the Bible tells us you guys got to protect your mind. Start protecting what gets in your head. Proverbs chapter 4 says it like this. Carefully guard your thoughts because they are the source of true life. you got to stop being in environments that are reckless to your soul. Someone had said it like this. You sow a thought... You're gonna reap an action. And you sow an action, you're gonna reap a habit. And you sow a habit, you're gonna reap a character. And you sow a character, you're gonna reap a destiny. But where did it start with? The seed of thought. And we've gotta protect our minds. And most of these thoughts that we have about ourselves usually come out in filling statements things that we say, I feel. Like you might say, I feel worthless. But before that ever came out of your mouth, you've been entertaining that thought for quite some time, that you are worthless. Or how about, I feel unattractive. And before you ever said those words and felt that way, you've thought that way for quite some time. Or how about, I feel like no one will ever marry me, or I feel unqualified. I mean, these feelings all start out as thoughts that you've given too much entertainment to. And may I say to you, feelings aren't facts. Feelings lie to us all the time. And these thoughts that maybe are in your head, that have creeped into your mind, that you've given so much consideration to, that maybe those things aren't true about who you really are either. That you've just given them too much attention, and you've bought into a lie. Because here's the truth. You've been created by God. You are His child. Friends, God knows you intimately, and He still likes you. Throughout the word like, he is madly in love with you. You're aware of the scripture where Jesus says that God knows the number of hairs on our head. That's that's Jesus saying that God knows you better than you know yourself. You don't know that about yourself, but yet God does. And it says he knows what happens secretly in your life. He knows what you think, and he knows what's in your heart, and yet he still is madly in love. Listen to how God thinks about you. He says, I praise you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. That's what the psalmist looks at and says, God, I I get it now. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Another scripture says, for we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that, that God has chosen you. You've been chosen by God. You weren't a random selection. He just didn't put his finger on you and say, well, that one will do. He chose you, even though He knows all about you. He knows the worst of you, and He still chose you. How about this? For we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things He's planned for us long ago. You're God's masterpiece. When's the, when's the last time you've thought of yourself like that? When is the last time you started to think on the truth of that, that you're God's masterpiece? How about this? Think about His deep love. But God demonstrated His love for us In this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for you. While you were in the process of making this world worse through your sin, God said, I still love you, even though I wanted this world in complete perfection. Even though you were rebelling against your Father, our Father in Heaven said, I still love you, even though you're rebelling against me. That's His deep love for you. That's who you really are. And those are the things you ought to be thinking about. You see, those that have the greatest self-image are usually the ones that find themselves in the scriptures on a daily basis. Because what they're doing is they're removing and tuning out what the world has to say and they're tuning into what the word of God really has to say, the truth about who they really are. And they're figuring it out that they can walk into the scriptures and walk away from the mistruths. Warren Wiersbe, who's a commentator of the Bible, had said, we have little control over our circumstances of life. We can't control the weather. We can't control the economy. We can't control what people say about us or what they do to us. There's only one thing that we can control. He says, "We we can rule the kingdom inside. We have control of our actions and our attitude, and we have control of our reactions. Just draw a circle around yourself and... Say, I can control this and this only. And that's why Scripture speaks to us and says, and you can control what thoughts happen up here. As a matter of fact, Colossians says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Hey, let's look at the last thing that, that has identified us but can become the wild card today if you think you've been dealt a bad hand because of the family you've been born in, the circumstances that you've been a part of. Or that you've been born with a weakness too great that it can't be overcome. Let me tell you about the wild card. And that is your choices have defined who you are. They've made you who you are. You've been created in the image of God. But you've been given freedom. And this is a really good thing. Because you're the only thing of creation that has the choice to choose. No one the creation can say that. Nothing else can say they have the choice to choose. Only you can say you have the choice to choose. God put that freedom of choice into our life. And, and that's been a great blessing to some of you. And it's also been a tremendous curse, the freedom to choose. You've recognized that when you choose the right things, that there's a blessing, there's goodness that comes along with the right thing. But you've all, you've discovered, you along with me, that when we choose the wrong things, there's a, there's kind of a curse. There's a hurt that goes along with choosing the wrong, the wrong things. And God gave us the freedom To choose. And let me say this. Your choices have the power to determine all these other things we've talked about that identify us. The things that we control and can't control. Your choices have the power to change those things around. Let me explain. I don't choose my weakness in life. There were weaknesses in my life I was born with. But I can choose how I'm going to live with those weaknesses. And I can choose whom I'm going to allow to bring me strength in those weaknesses. I didn't choose my parents. But I can choose how I'm going to now relate and love my parents. And I can even choose what new relationships need to be formed. To have someone like a parent in my life. I didn't choose my circumstances, but I can choose how to react to the world that surrounds me. I didn't choose what others had to say about me or what they've said to me, but I can choose to focus on God's Word and let it speak to me. You can choose. You can choose to work through the challenges that maybe your body Has put upon you, and you can pray. God, use this weakness and do something great. Life without limbs, God without limitation. Do something for your glory. You can choose to better your relationship and learn to forgive others that have harmed you and hurt you by by experiencing the forgiveness that God has brought to your life through Jesus. You can you can learn. And choose to trust God even when our circumstances around us are complete chaos. You can choose what you think. You can turn off the world and you can turn on God's word. You can choose a small group today. And head down to the fireside room so that people will pour into your life words of refreshing. You can cha- choose to make worship a routine of your week and hear God's transforming, life changing words spoken to you on a weekly basis. You can choose these things. Philippians 4 8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things that's what you need to put your mind on here's the last thing lastly you can choose jesus you can choose that's the wild you've been given a bad hand the wild card is jesus he turns it into a winning hand and receiving jesus is not just about having a savior it's not just about gaining heaven it's not just about being forgiven of your sins it's about getting a new identity in jesus christ it's about being redefined Having a new definition of who you are through Jesus. Because what happens when we give our life over to Jesus? We exchange our spirit for his spirit. And his spirit starts to influence our soul. That's what starts to happen. The scriptures say it like this. It says this means anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Let's say this last part together. The old is gone. A new life has begun. That's what happens when you choose Jesus. You get a new identity. And when you choose God, you choose to redefine yourself.